Welcome to Emron's podcast, episode number 104. This is your host, Suman Silwal. I would like to welcome Dr. Sophia Lal to Emron's podcast. Uh, Sophia uh, has been uh, very active here in Birmingham ever since I know. And uh, she's a sports medicine doctor, triathlete, runner, volunteers. Uh, she does so much, so many things in this community. How are you doing, uh, Sophia? Are you doing okay today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. So I, I gave you a brief introduction. So do you want to elaborate on, on your side of what you do as a, as a doctor and here in Birmingham? Absolutely. I am a sports medicine physician in Homewood, right smack in the middle of Birmingham. And I'm also, as you said, an athlete myself. So I feel lucky enough that I get to spend my day taking care of athletes. And then I hang out in the evening with athletes and people who are physically active. So it's around me all the time. And otherwise, I'm sleeping. That's pretty much the whole day. <laughs> <laughs> you keep yourself pretty busy around the sports. Uh, it's a different thing. The last few days, we've been trying to catch each other. Either I'll be running or you're riding a bicycle. So you're in heavily training, looks like, this summer. Yes, I am. I'm about, about to go for my uh, big my A race. is uh, not is a week from Saturday. So I'll be uh, across the ocean somewhere else competing in a, in a big race that I'm excited about. And I've uh, spent the majority of the year getting ready for it. So you also go out in Hawaii, uh, Ironman, uh, once a year. Do you compete there? Or I remember when we first met, you used to tell us, uh, tell me about uh, how you used to go there, and you're the medical doctor for the event. Uh, you do that every year now, so correct? So every year I go to Kona, Hawaii in October, and I'm on the medical team for the Kona World Championship Ironman. And I'm there for the week, so during that week there's also a sports medicine conference where we discuss a lot of the questions related to endurance sport and other questions related to sports medicine. Sounds like a fun week out there. So for you, you you have both a conference with, with the event. So that's always a great thing. Tell us about how did you get involved with the sports, uh, sports medicine, both aspect of uh, were you always an athlete? Uh, Growing up, I was up at a time where we did a different sport every semester every season. I wasn't really involved in year-round sports. And even though I've been a triathlete for quite some time now, I never competed in swimming, biking, or running growing up. And always thought about combining the three, but uh, really never had the courage to do so. And interestingly, in probably the most busiest time of my medical training, which was as a resident, was when I did my first triathlon. And it was an all-women's event. And I just was so pleasantly surprised at how supportive all the women that were competing were for each other. The ones that were passing me were cheering me on and the ones that I was passing were wishing me good luck. And it just went like that all morning through the race. And I was hooked from that point on. And that was 2004. So I guess I've been racing since, you know, that's quite a few years, 14 years, a month here. So what is your distance? My distance are all distances. That was a sprint way back then. So the shortest distance, which ends in a 5K. And I've done um, a handful of Ironmans. So that ends with a marathon. Um, so the longest distance, there's, and there's ones that are even longer than that these days. But they're always all three sports, swim, bike, run. That's what, what makes up a triathlon. Definitely. I have done one triathlon. I think that was enough for me. <laughs> I, I do all three sports, but, but not a, not as a competing event. I think I stuck with the running. But uh, it's, I always get amazed by a triathlete, the way you have to train, dedicate in three different sports, time, training, everything else involved is much more demanding than as a runner, just one sport. I 
That's what I feel. So Well, I just feel like the beauty of triathlon is it forces you to cross train. You don't really have time to do the same sport two days in a row. And I think that's actually good for your body to keep changing it up, even if it's every day of the week that you're doing something different that you're juggling. But uh, and, and even though I never competed in all three, I think the one thing I can do is I can do all three. And I think that's what keeps me going. And that's what continues my love for the sport. What is common injuries for a triathlete? So the first thing you brought up is the difference between maybe a triathlete and a runner. And, and running, I will say, running maybe not is the majority of my sports medicine practice, but I certainly see a lot of running injuries. And it's the one sport where of the athletes who run every year, 70% of them have some sort of injury. So that's a very, very, very high percentage in the world of sport. If you were in another sport and you had an injury, you might be out for the whole season or the whole year. And in running, the injuries are a little bit different in that they're often overuse injuries or sometimes recurrent injuries, but may not be a season-ending injury. And that is fairly unique to uh, runners as a sport. In triathlon, you're combining out two other sports. And again, you're forced to cross-train, which I think is healthy for your body. And um, I get to see a lot of triathletes, unfortunately, as well in my clinic. And one thing I've noticed is triathletes seem to fall in one of two categories. They either get injured during the triathlon season when they're doing more swimming and biking in addition to their running, or they don't get injured triathlon season. and Instead, they get injured during off season, which most of us, us triathletes don't take time off. And instead, we run because it's too cold to swim and it's too cold to bike. And then that's when you see me, Suman. That's when I'm racing with you. It's usually <laughs> my off season from triathlon. So how long is the season for uh, triathlon usually? Usually it starts early spring or spring whenever the water's warm enough because we're doing open water swims as part of our race. And then the season ends when the water is still warm enough to swim before it gets too cold. So in Alabama, that might start as early as early April and might end as late Ironman Florida about four and a half hours south of here is first week in November and is in the Gulf. So, so that's our season in the south. Definitely. For a marathon, the marathon and most of the distance races that I know of, uh, a lot of them are crammed around March, April, like early May. And then uh, then uh, you have uh, October, November that I'm yeah, big marathons are done. So so what about uh, for triathlon? What what are the what are those months? Is summer? How does the summer look summer like? Summer is the hottest. You know, summer in Alabama is really hot, and the water is really really warm. So here locally, there are races that go. There'll be one at the end of July. Team Magic does a race in Nashville. It's really hot. Um, there's one as early as April, um, about an hour from here, and then the latest one is maybe the half Ironman in Augusta, uh, which is at the end of September, and Ironman Chattanooga at the end of September. So different bodies of water, different temperatures. Some of the races we swim with wetsuits, some of them without, and there's rules and regulations about uh, when we can wear our wetsuit. If it's too hot, we're not allowed to wear it. Uh, if we want to compete and compete for a, a spot on the podium. Got it. The reason I'm asking all these questions is <laughs> I, I want to go back to uh, do one or two sprint at least a sprint, sure. uh, sprint triathlon. Uh, I always say that I will do it in the summer, but I end up not doing it. But but I, I'm hoping that one of these years I will I will go and do it. Let's uh, move on to the topic. Um, just talking about the main topic uh, we want to discuss. Uh, 
about the summer, summer training, you are heavily training. I'm, I'm starting back my training. Uh, I'm having some difficulty myself. Let's discuss um, as, as a medical professional, as an athlete, let's start from how do you train in summer? So summertime for me is really tough. I do not do well in the heat at all. And when I'm training for long course triathlon, which is half Ironman or longer, we're out there into the hottest hours of the day and I really suffer. And it shows in, in all three of my sports. I can't swim if the water's too warm. If it's too hot when I'm on my bike, definitely the second half of my ride suffers. And in the run, I become very sluggish and slow and my posture deteriorates quickly and I become heavy footed. And so it's hard for me through the hotter months. And I pay for it on race day, whether I'm doing just a, a running race or a triathlon, doesn't matter. And so I've really had to spend some time investigating what it takes to keep my body cool. And there's been a lot of trials and tribulations with that and a lot of experimenting personally and figuring out ways to cool my body off so that I can really race my best when it comes time for that. And even during training to take care of myself. So in the summer training, uh, when you do this, uh, is it because it's too hot or, or is it age related or body, how we have the body is, the speed, distance, how some people can handle the heat better than the other? That's true. That's true. So, you know, my boyfriend, he loves when the race is a really hot day because he doesn't get so affected by the heat. He actually prefers it be hot because it puts him at an automatic advantage just because the heat doesn't bother him as much as it does everybody else. Um, for me, I'm looking for the day that's absolutely not the hottest because I know I'm going to start to suffer right off the bat. And I think some of it has to do with where we grew up and what we're accustomed to and also has to do with what time of day we train in, has to do with how well we've prepared ourselves for the rest from a, a hydration standpoint. And then also, you know, depending on the humidity, that can make a difference as well. So lots of factors feed into um, how well you might perform on any particular day, whether it's a training day or a race day. Definitely. I have I have started going back. I used to be more, I used to love summer training and the heat. And lately this year has been kind of difficult. Maybe maybe I have not trained as hard or, or just I'm just starting back to, to summer training. But when you definitely train on, on this, is there a way people build endurance on those to heat resistant, I guess, uh, that's what I'm trying to get get to it, isn't Yeah, it's acclimation to the temperature. And uh, we just had a whole conversation about this big group last week. And um, we had runners in the room, cyclists in the room, uh, all endurance athletes. And there is a certain critical timeline that you want to give yourself to acclimate. For example, those that come to Kona to do the world championship. Ideally, they can show up at least 10 days before the race, somewhere between 10 days and three weeks before the race. But that's not um, in everybody's pocketbook to show up on the Big Island that early before a race because it's mm -hmm. pretty expensive. But if you can, you have a chance to acclimate your body. And this question also might come up, for example, in altitude training or altitude racing. That's, that's uh, uh, definitely. That's the only places I have heard uh, about acclimating. Sure. You know. sure, but in the heat as well. And so... They, they say there's this kind of window where you don't want to show up. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to, you want to be at least 10 days out or within three days of the race. Either your body's going to, you know, be shocked into the environment that it's in and you race on that day or you give yourself plenty of time to 
acclimate if you can. And if you don't have that time, you know, then you have to use all the tricks of the trade that you have already tried ideally on yourself to do what you can to cool yourself off. And I spent one whole season working on just that. What were the ways that I needed to take advantage of to cool myself down on any particular day, whatever race was in front of me? And in the South, we rate in a lot, we race in a lot of hot conditions, unfortunately, and a lot of them are, are humid. And so uh, not everybody's body sweats the same. Um, some bodies are more efficient at sweating. Some are less. Some people are very heavy salt sweaters. Some are not. So, you know, we've all had those friends that cross the finish line. You can see the crusty white on their running shorts or on their <laughs> face or they say that they lick their lips and they're very salty. You know, so those, those are the people who are probably heavier salt sweaters. And then there's some that sweat a lot, but it's not very salty. And then there's a few, not very many, who don't sweat very much. I'm usually in that category. If uh, if I start sweating, all my friends know that it's a really bad day today. So Yeah. And then there's some things to watch out for. Sometimes when you get so hot and your body has worked so hard and you're on the downslope, you might stop sweating. And that's dangerous. So then you're moving into a zone uh, that your body is no longer taking care of itself. It's not able to cool itself down anymore. And probably the first thing you should do is reassess, you know, what's going on with your body and whether you should continue, or at least you should be pulling back on your pace and uh, quickly looking for some ways to cool yourself down. So it's important for a body to continue to sweat or how does that work? Because hydrating yourself and, you know, more hydration you put in your body, that's what I was, was told. The more sweat well, you get, so um, yeah. So your that's your body's one of your body's normal cooling mechanisms is to the heat that's produced inside. Your body wants to dissipate it, get rid of it, so it comes out uh, through sweat. And if you're in a really arid place, that water may evaporate off of you very quickly, and you may not realize how much water you're actually losing. Compared to if you're running in the you know Oak Mountain any time this week. <laughs> and it's very humid, as we've all experienced, that we we get very wet very quickly we, and the water is just sitting on us because it doesn't really have this, the same, it doesn't it's, doesn't get evaporate the same way as it does in a very dry climate. Yep. So it's very obvious and clear to us that we're sweating really hard. Yeah, funny, so, funny thing you mentioned that uh, I just came from Oak Mountain running and I'm almost completely wet. So, <laughs> so completely, but, completely soaked. Yeah. So what you might want to do one time soon is you can do to figure out how much you actually sweat in an hour. It's a really easy test to do. You can figure out your time where you can go do a one hour run and weigh yourself before you do the run. If you weigh, um, you want to weigh yourself the same before the run and after the run. So if you weigh before the run without clothes or with light T-shirt and shorts, then after the run, you want to dry yourself off and weigh the same way. And then you subtract and that's the amount of fluid that you have lost in that one hour run. And then you ideally to replace that amount, but you're, it's hard for your body to tolerate 100% replacement. Sometimes our stomach, our gut doesn't tolerate all that fluid. Uh, if we, even though we want to put it back in, we may not, our belly may not tolerate it. So about 65 to 75%, if you can get that back in, uh, that would be a good thing. The next question that comes up, and a lot of people think, if I just drink water, then I'm doing enough. Uh, that is sometimes true, but not always true. So there is a balance between fluid that you have in you and the electrolytes that you have in you, the salts that you have in you, which help conduct electricity. And our body runs on an electrical system. 
So we have to keep this balance, this electrical balance happy, uh, especially when we're really stressing our bodies like being out in the heat exercising. So the other phenomenon that can happen in addition to dehydration, that's on one side. But on the other side, if you drink water, 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 and you don't replace any electrolytes, you are diluting your body's system. And not only that, don't forget, you might be sweating out some of your salts. So in this dilution, you are upsetting that electrical balance. And that also can be very dangerous. And that's called hyponatremia. And mm. to be extremely serious, you can wind up uh, with seizures, you can wind up in the emergency room, and you, or you, some people have died from it. A lot, and it happens every year, unfortunately. So you, this one you're talking about after the after the event or during? Uh, it can happen during, and oftentimes it happens after the event. After, not often, but there are times it happens after the event. Everybody goes home from the marathon, for example, and then later that evening, somebody's not feeling good, and they wind up in the emergency room. And un it, unfortunately for us as medical, it doesn't get counted in our numbers because we've counted everybody at the end of the race. This is a medical situation that's happening, you know, after the race. Got it. And it's also it also tends to be, but not always, uh, where we first started finding the numbers was in people who were new to running, for example, didn't really know their body very well, and especially in key, especially running over distance. Um, you know, maybe they're raising money, uh, a good cause, and they decided to go for a marathon, you know, but they were not really runners, but they're, they went into their training program and all of a sudden here it is race day and maybe they're not the fastest runners and maybe they are, are not experienced runners. And so they're on the course a long time and they know it's important to drink water. They're stopping at every water stop and they're drinking water every time and maybe than some of the other athletes and it's getting into the hotter part of the day. So they've taken in quite a bit of fluid by the time they cross the line. And maybe they didn't know. So that's the type of person that can uh, wind up diluting their system and they can become hyponatremic, which means low in sodium. I may have those problems because uh, most of the time, like even today when I was running up mountain, I'm just water, water, water. I hardly uh, use yep. electrolyte. Uh, I'll drink it after, uh, but uh, uh, most of the time during the event, uh, because just the taste of it, I never liked mm -hmm. it. The, the sweetness and everything stays in my mouth. and so, so I just go with the water only. I know it's not good for me, uh, especially the event that's coming up uh, next weekend. Uh, which is going to be yeah. So name itself is uh, <laughs> harder than hell. So <laughs> there's a reason why at the uh, aid stations they have pretzels and they have the saltines and they have the pickle juice and they have the all tricks to get salt in you. Yeah. And is and it that it is it is really important. And you probably when you cross the finish line, I bet you go for something salty. You know they have bags of chips at the finish line and they're you're body's asking for that salt. It's probably because it lost quite a bit. Definitely. Uh, you can start eating a little bit before your race, you know, eating some things that are a little bit saltier than maybe what you're used to, uh, maybe the day before and the morning of. Just, to, again, try to get that salt in you. That's so important. Got it. Usually um, for the trail event after the race, I'm, after drinking a bottle of water, I'm straight to the beer line. So after four or five beers, I'm finally back to normal. So that was another question I was going to ask you, just that something you just mentioned uh, prior to race, I've heard some people uh, trying to put as much fluid in, in the system as possible five, six, seven days ahead of event, like a uh, like hot event, like what we're about to have next weekend. So is that beneficial? How, how early should, should we, we start 
to hydrate or try to put uh, water in our body? Well, the research doesn't show that your body can really hold it. Try and kind of pack it in, you know, a week before. What you are doing is you're getting your your body and your kidneys used to taking in a decent amount of water. So you're it's it's like you're training your body for the amount of water that you might be needing on race day. And I think of it more that way than actually being able to store it ahead of time. Like we're not designed like camels, you know, we can't really store a large quantity extra. Our body keeps what it needs and it gets rid of what it doesn't need. And what you're doing is you're ramping up the system, preparing it for, wow, okay, on this day, next Saturday, I'm probably going to be taking in a decent amount of fluid. I want my gut to be happy about that. I want my kidneys to be happy about that. So let me start getting used to that amount of fluid running through me. So that's another way to think about it. And then, um, you know, you want to, you have to take in carbs also. You have to take in the energy and then you have to take in the salt. And it's really this combination, this ratio of fluid to carbs to salt. That's a, that's the really important ratio to keep an eye on. And it's different for each person. So what works for the guy running next to you may absolutely not work. One of you might be a heavy salt sweater. And as experienced runners, we tend to know which one we are. Are we the ones with the salty crust line at the end of the race? Or are we the ones like you who don't, you know, sweat very much maybe? So each person is individual. And that's why uh, for me, I sought out this uh, sweat test because I wanted to know what my body was doing. And sweat tests has usually done, been done in a lab setting. And I found a company that has made it easy for us to do the sweat test on our own and then be able to send off the results to the lab and get the, re- get the results back to the individual. And they also come to me and then we uh, come up with a plan. The lab has sent some suggestions. I have some suggestions. But it's really about this ratio of fluids. How much fluid do you need to replace per hour? And then how much, based on how much salt you've lost, how much do you need to replace per hour? And then also, if you take in the salt, that's not enough. You need to have some carbohydrates in you so your body can absorb the salt. So it's really this combination of all three that's so important that you're dialing in to give yourself the best opportunity have a good race day. Definitely. So whenever you, you talk about the carbohydrate, electrolyte, and the water, I guess the hyd- hydration part, what is the ratio in, in the sense that, you know, you don't want to overdo it in an 18-mile race, uh, 100-mile race, you may want to do a little bit. I realize I have suffered in a in both scenarios, especially 100-mile races. When I when I go through it, I don't know how much I supposed to put it, put it in my system because last 100 I ran, it was hot. Um, yeah. Day and night yeah. and just this miserable situation. It's hard to dial it in if you have, you haven't done something like the salt test, like the sweat test. But you also know from experience that if you, you know, if you train in the south where it's really hot and you sweat a lot, it's probably a good idea to replace some water. Now, not everybody's belly can tolerate that sloshing around water, right? And you have to train your gut to be able to tolerate that fluid. Should you be taking short sips throughout the hour or do you just take your water just to the aid station? You have to figure out what works for your body. Uh, the electrolytes also, I would say, do the test because then you know exactly how much sodium, chloride, and potassium, the three salts that are tested, how much of those you're losing per hour so that you know how much to replace. And if you're at the aid station and your body's craving salt, it's probably because you need some salt. If it's you're thirsty and you're looking for water, you're looking for whatever the replacement product is that they have there with the electrolytes, you know, ha- have a little bit. 
And maybe before you take off again, think about what your pace is, because now some of the blood that was in your working muscles, your legs and your arms, now a little bit of that is going to be shunted to the gut because you just put something in the gut. So there's this balance between blood that you need in your working muscles and the fact that your gut's trying to digest at the same time when you're talking about these long distance races. At some point, for example, in Ironman, the gut tends to shut down. Yeah, this is hard to balance for me uh, going, going through some tests myself at this time to figure out some of the things going on. But yeah, my body shuts down after a while. Uh, last time when I ran leg more and started, started shutting down about mile 46, I think, and then um, got worse. After the race, it took me a while to come back. Right. It's really hard to recover from that. And, that's, and that might have been because your electrolyte balance was upset. Maybe you didn't take in enough of the salts that you needed, or maybe when you were taking in the salts, you didn't have a little bit of carbohydrate with it, and then your body couldn't absorb the salt. So it's important, again, to have that combination of the three. And there are tests available to figure out what your individual needs are. And if you don't have that test available or you aren't able to do it, then the other option is to do by experience. These training days that we do in the heat are part of that experience. So not getting off the topic about uh, heat training. Um, so in, in this scenario, there's hard to recreate, um, you know, in a in training situation, correct? Because uh, I don't run 100 miles in a, in a training. Most I have done is 40, 40 miles in training days. But but right. uh, but how do you try to, is there a way to you can recreate a scenario? I've always wanted to do recreate to see what happens, you know. So I, I don't know if I'd have to add a couple of runs and or a hundred mile run in a weekend to see if the last day I will I will have these issues and because I never see any issues when coming uh, training and then go to race day you everything shows up you know <laughs> of course of course everything shows up and you could you could take your one long day and maybe split it into two days where you do half on Saturday half on Sunday that's hard to do but uh, people do it and you could train at different times of the day as well different parts of the day, in the middle of the afternoon, in the evening, in the middle of the night, early in the morning, because you're doing these long races that go through the night. And uh, you can also extrapolate, you know, if you do a one hour sweat rate test, like the one I described earlier, um, you know, you can carry those numbers with you over, over time, over the time of your longer race. And our bodies aren't, I don't know how long they're designed to really go. On race day, we really are taking ourselves, that's that's part of putting yourself on the start line is can I push my body to that limit of reaching 100 miles? Most people on the planet don't even dream about that. But you have done some conditioning to get there and more power to those people that show up on that start line because they've done their homework. They've done the conditioning. They don't just show up like you would for a 5K. They don't just show up like that at 100 miler. And so they do have that, they do have some experience of going through these long efforts. And again, you might try different times of the day. You might try um, doing over a weekend, maybe a back-to-back where it's you're splitting your long run in half. Definitely. That's another way to approach it. And then you also, I think it's important to know in the heat what the indicators are that your body's not doing well. That was, I thought, one very good question that came up in last week's talk was um, very experienced cyclist is doing a very um, hard it's it's Chiha Mountain, you know, you guys run over it in Penhody. Well, sure. they ride over it on their bikes in a really hot part of the year and it's a race and that is this guy's backyard. So he gets to ride that course every weekend if he wants to. 
But he notices at a certain point, he starts getting a little bit fatigued. His muscles are getting a little bit tired. He doesn't get lightheaded, but he starts getting maybe just a little ever so slight headache. And, you know, and it's hot. And he starts not feeling so well. And he's noticing that his speed is going down also. So he's asking me, okay, is that the point that I should stop? Is it too late? Like, what have I done to myself? And we talked about it. And really, he had indicators that were even um, earlier that he was ignoring. His body was trying to tell him mm. it wasn't feeling so well. And he was pushing through it anyway, thinking, you know, oh, I'm the athlete. I can get it out, right? Yeah. But when it's, when it's signs of what heat is doing to you, that may not always be the smartest strategy. So... When you start feeling those symptoms that come from being out in the heat and being out in the heat too long or being dehydrated or having hyponatremia, that borderline headache that you get, um, that little bit of lightheadedness that you get, the pace is dropping off. Maybe on a trail run, you start becoming a little bit more clumsy. Maybe you're misstepping a little bit. Those are some signals to, to you that maybe your body's starting to, to get, is it, starting to get overheat. It's not the way it was, you know, in the first few minutes when you were running, right? And maybe the only, re maybe it's not only because you're getting tired. Maybe the heat is also a factor. Definitely, yeah. I have seen those symptoms myself. Even last race, I think Penhody was similar. In a shorter race, uh, you can, it goes pretty fast. For a longer race, you keep overdue over and over. But one thing uh, I want to mention as we talk about uh, heat, uh, heat's getting trapped in our body. Using you know, a lot of our, us ultra runners, I mean, I, I, I was wearing today those uh, hydration vests. Um, you know, that's pretty nice and very expensive product. But uh, I have realized over several races that heat just gets trapped in my body using those vests. Um, so I have switched to water bottles and then yeah. during the race day. So, so I'm, my body's a little free. So, so is that, a, is, is that a phenomenon or I'm just kind of imagining that's what's happening to me? Well, I think it's a little bit of both, but I understand what you're saying. I, and I had that same kind of aha moment for myself in triathlon. I used to race, um, you know, we had the tri shorts and then we have sports bra with a tri top on top, uh, or a shirt of some sort. And in the South, it was all so hot. I wanted to be able to feel as cool as I possibly could. So the last thing I wanted to do was put a shirt on because I thought that would just make me feel claustrophobic and I would get hot. But in that one season that I took to teach myself how to cool myself down on race day, one nice thing you have is you have aid stations, you have water stops. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is keep my shirt wet. If I kept my shirt wet, then as I'm moving, the air cools me off. Mm -hmm. So I was actually cooler in a wet tech shirt than I was if I just had the, um, you know, running sports bra on. That didn't make sense to me in the beginning. Also, I wear, I race with arm sleeves. So arm sleeves are also made of a tech material. Um, I think one thing that people don't realize, our skin is our largest organ. If we damage it, it loses the ability to cool us. So when we get sunburned, our skin is not as efficient at cooling us and sweating out the heat. So the last thing you want to do is get sunburned. So I have seen those uh, arm sleeves, uh, those are uh, used yeah. only the, during the wintertime, but never thought about running using the summertime. Sometimes you see me wearing a long sleeve shirt, yeah. uh, very tech, tech shirt. So usually that's, I just don't want to expose my, all my body in the sun. So Well, you don't want to because you're, you're smart. You don't want to get sunburned because you need your skin to be able to cool yourself off. And if you burn your skin, it won't be as efficient at cooling yourself off. So, so the arm sleeves for me in the summer, they're made of different material than they are in the winter. But the ones in the summer are very light material. 
and A, help wick away the sweat to pull the sweat off of your skin. And B, if you keep them wet, it's just like wearing a wet tech shirt, right? You're, you're, and for me, I even put ice cubes down into the arm sleeves, right on those big arteries. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to cool myself off. Even if I'm tricking myself to my brain, it feels pretty cold. Kind of like putting ice in your hat and putting your hat back on. You know, you get your brain freeze for a second, but as that, as those ice cubes drip, it feels pretty good in the heat of, in the heat of the race, in the heat of the day. Definitely. Yeah, I put a lot of uh, ice on my uh, the buff that I use most of the races. Yep. <laughs> and I have, a, I have a couple of them with me most of the races. Some race, sometimes when I see water, water uh, creek or something, I just dip one of those and put in my head, my body. Sometimes you see me washing my body. Just Yeah, so I, I use several different things for that. So keeping ourselves cooler, I guess that's that's the thing. But basically, I used to be bottle only runner, and then switched to the hydration pack. Now back to the bottle for racing only. During the training, I really don't care, but because I need as much hydration I can carry during the training. But during the race, I think I wanted to feel free and not have a, have this problem. So that's why I wanted to mention that. Right. So it's different settings. So different settings, and I've tried the hydration packs too. I do find them a little bit for me in my brain. It's claustrophobic is kind of how I feel. And I make, I, I get the packs that are the like most minimal so that I really can give my body the opportunity to breathe as much as possible. And uh, you can put some ice down the back of that pack as well, or something that you've, you know, frozen overnight. Um, not necessarily your whole uh, fluid container, but if you, again, take like a wet bandana or um, anything, any article of material that you can put back there to keep yourself wet and cool, that I think is beneficial. Definitely. So we talked about uh, so many different aspects of a training training in the in the heat. Uh, you mentioned, you briefly touched about racing in the heat condition. So what are those, uh, some of the tips that you think of racing? Because you've, you've been to Hawaii and Kona's, those areas always hot. So what are the what are the some of the some of the important things that we have missed talking about today? Well, I feel if you're wanting to keep your body cool, you and you have water available, you know you know you lose most of your heat through your head, and um, or or in the winter that's where you're trying to keep the heat in, right? We we run mm-hmm. with hats on with really cold, so it's just the opposite in the summer. So one of the things that I do is I used to run without a hat, then I started running with a visor. Then I learned if I put ice in my hat, literally in my hat as I'm going to the aid station and put the hat back on, I've got ice sitting right on my head. Not necessarily a lot, whatever I can tolerate, but that way I've got this nice, cool, slow, steady drip coming down on my head and that that feels nice. And I'm also, the bill of the hat is protecting my face because I don't want to burn my skin, right? I'm trying to protect my skin against the sun. So I also, so I try to keep my clothing wet if I can for as long as I can. That also helps keep me cool, including arm sleeves, including calf sleeves and longer distances, including ice cubes in every single place I can find a place to stuff an ice cube, I will. Um, and drinking cold water is also helpful. Your body will ultimately warm it up to body temperature, 98.6. Ice holding ice cube in your hand helps your brain. Putting ice cubes um, in uh, those spots where the large arteries are, that's helpful as, as well. Um, so that's, that's what doing those things for your body, I think is helpful. If you find that you feel like you're starting to overheat, you might pull back on your pace a little bit because 
your body is trying to cool itself off, your heart rate is going up, and that's not going to be good for you over time ultimately. You want to be able to finish the race and you want to be able to finish it uh, uninjured and not winding up in an emergency room somewhere. (laughs) And these things happen. Like it's happened to us or our friends, right? We all know somebody that this has happened to. So it's it's a real thing. And I've done races. I remember very distinctly, I did the Augusta 70.3 and it was so hot that day on the run course that even though my legs wanted to go, every time I tried to run a little bit faster, my heart rate would just spike and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I had to pull back the pace just to get to the next water stop. So for me, my half marathon was about going from water stop to water stop to water stop. I mean, that's not really the best way to have your race, right? But, but we all know those races. We've all had those days where we're just trying to get from one water stop to the next. Yep. Get, get closer to the finish line as much as possible. That's, that's right. That's right. And without overheating, because you start not feeling well, know the signals when you're overheating. Know how your body uh, should feel normally compared to when it's not doing so good. When you start getting that dull headed, when you start feeling um, like your pace is dropping off, if you definitely, if you stop sweating, that is not a good sign. Stopping at that point is not a bad idea. Your body is designed to sweat and you should be able to sweat. Your core temperature might high when you actually stop sweating that's dangerous definitely um certainly if you get confused if you get confused if you get agitated it's like these are all signs but big ones of confusion dizziness lightheadedness stop sweating those are those are big important signs you cannot ignore and you might quickly look for some help and a cool place other things that you can think about as far as preparing for the race is knowing what your sweat rate is so how much fluid you sweat in an hour and then how much fluid you are. So then based on that, if you can replace about 65 to 75% of that per hour, that's a that's a good formula to start with. As long as your gut, you know, tol- then you want to get used to it if you have to work to that. Um, and then there's how much salt do you lose per hour? That's an important number. And if you're taking in salt, it's important to take in a little bit of carbohydrate as well. Carbohydrate, sugar is your basic energy need that to move forward anyway, but it also helps your body absorb the salt. So this combination of fluid to salt to carbs is an important uh, ratio. Sounds and then like... always don't forget to have fun. Like That's why we're out there. Right? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, sounds like a lot, lot to consider. Uh, you know, we don't want to stop training or racing in the summer just because it's hot out there. It's, you know, you know, some people don't train or race during the summer, I understand, but but some of us, we have a race less than 90 days or, you know, <laughs> fall comes pretty fast. You know, if you don't train during yeah. the summer, uh, you need to buy this. If you're waiting for cooler weather in south, you're waiting till October, which is all the races are. So there's no time. So, so hold I agree. I, there's, so, you know, a couple of other factors. Some people have asthma really bad. Some people just cannot. It's not good for them to train. Um, uh, so some people are very sensitive to uh, heat. They can get exercise-induced asthma. Um, Some people are very sensitive to the pollen. Some people are sensitive when we have a bad ozone day. So, um, you know, for those people, they might be wiser to do their training indoors when the outdoor conditions are not conducive for them. That way they can still keep their fitness up. They can still keep their training up. 
but they're not exposing themselves to situations that might be dangerous for them. Definitely. Pulling back uh, from the racing as if it, if, you, if it gets too bad or or not going out if you don't, if you cannot handle all this. Uh, but continue training is what I always advise everybody to continue training during the summer. Yeah. And always let somebody know where you are. You know, if you're going out for a run, especially if you're going out for a trail run, you know, let your somebody in your family or one of your friends know, um, you know, when you're expecting to start. Let them know you'll text them when you get back or have have some plan. But one easy trick is you can make a copy of your driver's license and make a copy of your insurance card and then put them in a Ziploc baggie and carry them on your person. That's an important place to start. That's a great advice. And you're not carrying you're not carrying your actual driver's license and insurance card, right? They're in the car somewhere, but at least make a copy of it and put it in a Ziploc and put it somewhere on you. I'm doing that tomorrow. So that's, I have never thought about that. So great advice there. As much as heat training I like to do, I haven't gotten a situation uh, where I'm delusional, but uh, I have slowed down last week a lot. So anyway, yeah. so I have to be yeah. careful. Sophia, you mentioned uh, several times about the sweat test. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, do you offer that at, at your clinic? Uh, you can get your sweat test done at Fagan Sports Medicine. We're in Homewood, Alabama. Our phone number is 205-879-8206. And you can call in and ask for either myself or our office manager, Michael Brown. He can help you uh, set up for the sweat test and get the kit. And um, we can go from there. We're happy to help in any way that we can. And I thought the interview was really fun. Suman, thanks for inviting me on. Uh, no problem. It, it has been great to, to have you here. We had some internet connection here issue. Uh, most of the time, I never had this issue. So uh, hopefully um, this will come out okay. So uh, Sophia, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, thanks for coming to the Embrun's podcast. Uh, before we close uh, this interview, give us a word of advice about uh, training, training the, during summer. We talked so much about uh, summer training, summer heat, uh, give us a word of advice. First of all, make sure that it's fun and absolutely make sure you take care of yourself in the heat. Don't forget that includes hydration, salt replacement, and carbohydrate replacement. All three are important and everybody's body is individual. If you start getting those symptoms of getting too hot, listen to your body and pull back a little bit. If you start getting a little dizzy, a little bit confused, especially if you stop sweating uh, or start getting um, delirious. Those are big signals that your body is headed in the wrong direction. And always have a plan whenever you go out in the heat. Make sure somebody knows that you're out there. You might think it's a relatively simple, easy day for you, but in this kind of heat, we get in trouble. All of us do. So have a strategy if something doesn't go your way. For example, as simple as making a copy of your driver's license and insurance card, putting them in a Ziploc and putting them on your person, and then maybe letting someone, a friend or a family member, know that you've gone out for a training effort and agreeing that you'll uh, page them or text them as soon as you get back to your car. And otherwise, have a safe summer and have fun out there. Great. Uh, sounds like great word of advice. Uh, thanks for coming to Emirates Podcast. Good luck with your uh, racing somewhere far far away so hopefully we'll get to hear where where you're going soon so <laughs> good luck with that and uh, we definitely will like 
for the message to all the runners listening to this podcast. Take care of yourself and have fun and don't stop training it. Come on, thanks so much for inviting me to be on this podcast with you. I think this is an important and relevant topic for this time of the year. There are some big races that are right in front of us and within the next few weeks. So I think it's really important and it's probably important to do a similar talk again in the winter if you're interested. Definitely. Um, yeah, have, have fun next weekend. Listen to your body. Um, I'm going someplace that's a little bit cooler. So I've been training in the heat and I'm going to get a plane somewhere where it's a little bit cooler. And um, then I'll, I'll tell you about it when I get back. How about that? Sounds, sounds like a plan. And uh, good luck with, with everything you, you, you're training for. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again uh, later on in the fall or the winter time. Sure. Anytime you'd like. And good luck next weekend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emirates Podcast. Please visit emirates.com to listen to our previous podcast episodes, links to our social media channels, get race photos, get discount codes, and more.